Good morning from me. Last week, Jeremy began for us our new preaching series, going through the book of 1 Peter, and Jeremy gave us a framework of the themes to look out for throughout this book. Exile and God's people as a dispersed people. Identity, what it is to be God's people. And the call to obedience, God's people living in the right relationship with him. First Peter deserves slow reading. So we've moved from a preaching series on the Psalms where we invited all of us to rest and to reset with God through reading the Psalms into a book that is rich with Jesus, rich with wonderful insights into our new lives with God and takes some slow reading over and over again to allow this richness and the weight of these truths to sink in. I invite you over the coming weeks to take each passage and to spend time reading and rereading each passage to invite God to speak to you through it each day. This morning, our message begins Peter's letter with the ultimate message, what we call the gospel, the good news, that God offers us a new relationship with him, a new life from him. And the letter goes on to address the sufferings that we experience in this world in the light of that most important message. This is our message of hope, Kingdom Vineyard graciously given to us as part of God's people to carry into the world to those who need new life with God, which is, of course, all of us. So I invite you, I invite all of us to hear this message specifically for us, for you, as my friend Jody reads it for us now. Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through to 12. Praise to God for a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you 
when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thanks, Jody. This is the first bit of content of Peter's letter, the first bit of meat after his introduction. And he begins his message to the churches by focusing on the most important message of all time, the good news of what God has done for us. It is such good news. It is so wonderful, life transforming, life fulfilling, that Peter begins his talking about the gospel with an outburst of joy true delight, unrestrained praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is joyfully laying out the most important truth that any human being will ever know. And it is a good truth. It's good news to those who hear it and allow their life to be changed by it. It's a truth that the people before Jesus, who were given a glimpse of who he would be and what he would do, longed to know about long to know when and how God was going to do this. And as our passage today finishes, even angels long to peer into this truth. God, in his kindness, in his great mercy, has changed everything for us. The first verse of our passage today, verse 3, tells us that in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's so much in there. We, those of us who've received this gift from God, have been given new birth, a brand new life, new beginning, as if we'd only just been born, into a living hope, an expectation of what's ahead of us. We anticipate joyfully the future we have, but again, it's not just a fact or an idea, it's not a lesson we've learned. There's a spark of life in this hope, zoe is the Greek word. This believing in a future promise that we have has been breathed into by God so that it can give life to us, give strength to us, give perspective to us because God's life is in this hope that we have. And we've been given this new birth and new living hope through Jesus Christ the Messiah, being raised from the dead. This gift comes through the most important and amazing moment in all history, when God the Son became a human being called Jesus, lived with skin and bone, and was put to an unjust death at the hands of the authorities. And in doing so, took from us the death and separation from God that we've carried. And then this Jesus was resurrected from the dead, raised to new life that he now offers us, robbed of the death, <laughs> robbed death of the power that it had over us. And he's made clear the way, even for you and I, to be restored to right relationship with our Father God. This is how we have been given our new hope. Our previous life, our balance sheet of offences against God was put to death on that cross with Jesus. And having given our old lives to Jesus, we receive new life from him, in him. And Peter hasn't finished his point. He's not even finished his sentence. 
verses 4 and 5 continue, that this new birth is also into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Inheritance. It's a funny thing. When you inherit something, it's not because of something you've done. It's to do with the relationship between the one receiving the inheritance and the one bequeathing it. If a friend or family member passes away and leaves something to you in their will, then what was theirs becomes yours. My beloved nanny insists with a big grin that she's leaving me all her debts. Thank you. Inheritance is, is not a, a reward. It's not like a salary. It's not something you earn. If your family member owned it and gives it to you, then it's yours. Say you were adopted by the Queen, and if you're joining us this morning, ma'am, hi. Then being adopted into that family comes with certain benefits. There's a certain wealth, a certain status, a certain privilege that comes with being a member of the royal household. Being adopted into God's family, being given a new birth into it, is being born into a family whose father has all the wealth, all the power, power we can hardly imagine, all the provision, protection, all the love of a God who wants to share our inheritance with us now. Not because we've earned it, no way, but because of the relationship we have with him, because of his kindness to us, because of his great mercy, verse 3. And even this relationship that qualifies us for these generous gifts, well, this relationship itself is a wonderful gift. We can be born into his family, being a member of creation's original royal household. We find that we have an invitation into the throne room of God Almighty, family level access to sit at the feet of Father God and chat with him. The very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, living within us, empowering us, speaking to us, unrestricted, unspoiled access to the source of all life and love himself. We have the ability to ask him for anything we need. Miraculous provision physics-bending intervention in this world, a family name that has authority over the demons, authority to heal the sick, access to the supernatural gifts of God through his Holy Spirit, not to mention the assurance of a place with God in the new heavens and new earth that he's promised us through his prophets in scripture. This inheritance is not to be taken lightly. And wonderfully, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, verse 4. My family status with God is in his hands, no matter what happens in this world. That is wonderful assurance. And it's wonderful because, as Peter says in verse 6, in all this we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I just want to make this really clear. Entering into this relationship with God, being born anew into his family, is not a promise that the rest of our lives on earth will be free from pain. There is a promise of a new heaven and new earth, when God 
finally and forcefully steps into this world to call it to order and to judgment. At that point, all evil is to be banished, all suffering removed. As John tells us in the book of Revelation, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. But until that happens, this world is in a place of tension where God has announced and introduced his kingdom to this world through Jesus, his miraculous signs, his death and resurrection, and through the Holy Spirit being poured out into God's people through Pentecost. The presence of God, the kingdom of God is amongst us, but until that kingdom is fully rolled out, this world is still largely in enemy hands, spiritually speaking. And the people of God live behind enemy lines. We live in occupied territory where grief and pain are still sadly realities. I actually find that the perspective on the world that the Bible gives on suffering is reassuringly honest. If it pretended that suffering wasn't real or minimised it, then I think the teaching would have less credibility. But the Bible talks honestly about suffering, including notably when people suffer for being God's people in a world that remains hostile to God. This tension of, on the one hand, a world that is in a state of rebellion against God and spoiled and twisted by humanity's disobedience to our creator and, on the other hand, God's kingdom amongst us, the promise of a future on his beautiful terms, well, it seems a very insightful description of the world around us still today. Instead of dodging that tension, Peter offers us a perspective on the trials, suffering and grief that we experience in this world to help us see them in the context of the wonderful relationship with God that he offers us. Peter tells us that, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. The griefs and trials that we face are linked here to our faith, our relationship with God, being purified, refined even, like a precious metal in a fire has the imperfections burned off it, so that when Jesus is revealed, our relationship with him can bring him praise, glory and honour. Well, that sounds like a good result, even if it's an uncomfortable process. But does that mean that God is sending the bad things that we experience? Placing us in situations that put pressure on our relationship with him, like placing precious gold in a refinery and turning up the heat. Does that mean that we can trust God? Does that mean that he is as loving as we say he is? I think it's helpful to distinguish between discipline and evil. The Bible tells us that there is an enemy. There is an accuser in Hebrew, Satan. 
a powerful being who's hostile to God, who seeks to steal, kill and destroy. A being who has significant control over this world, its culture, and has effectively taken captive the people in it. The Bible talks about evil. Jesus talks about evil and even sets people free from evil spirits and their influence. If we're reading our Bibles faithfully, I don't think we can ignore evil. On the other hand, there are some times when things are difficult, even painful, and God is clearly at work in them. Sometimes discomfort is what we need as God's people to let go of the comforts and the culture of this world. Things that we've been clinging onto, but are not God's intent for us and are even getting in the way of our relationship with him. Like Jesus turning over the tables in the temple and driving away the money changers and the sacrificial animal salesmen, are there things in our relationships with God that he wants out of the way of our real meeting with him? Blind spots that we assume are part of the worship package but that Jesus wants gone so that we can meet him purely, wholly, the way he wants us to. A toddler doesn't always understand the difference between evil and discipline. Sometimes we don't recognise God's kindness and mercy when he takes away the grenade that we've been treating as a toy or when he teaches us to share and look after others when we were having a nice time playing with all the toys on our own. Can there be both evil in the world and God's discipline in our lives? I think so. Even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation or the times of trial, but deliver us from evil. Well, so how do we tell the difference? How do we know when the enemy is making life difficult for us or when God is purifying our relationship with him? It's not always easy to tell, especially because God being the incredible chess player and strategist that he is, he also uses the enemy's evil intentions to bring about his aims. As Joseph observed to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. We know that God loves us as a doting father. We know that he wants what's best for us. We know that he protects us, but also that he's helping us to grow, helping us to remove the impurities in our relationships with him. So it's not always obvious to us what's going on behind the spiritual scenes. But whether it's the case that God is sending any set of difficult circumstances or whether he's just not preventing them as part of a plan. We know that he uses them for good. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 verse 28 says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. There's also some really interesting similar stuff in Romans 8 about God's children, inheritance, the place of suffering in our lives with God, but you have to go and read that yourselves today. Let's take our current circumstances. Say the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the effects that the restrictions are having on our lives. The suffering, the grief, the upheaval, 
Would I say that God is behind this? I couldn't. I couldn't easily see the Jesus who wept at his friend Lazarus's death sending this suffering. But can he use it? Can he draw close for the first time to those who are suffering? To speak to us as a society about the value of Sabbath rest instead of rat race? To remind us that although the economy and our health system are gifts, they're not places to place our trust, but instead our trust should be placed in him first? Would God use this coronavirus pandemic as an opportunity to speak to us, to remind us who he is and allow us to see the idols placed in front of him in our lives, well, I think he would. The enemy meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Well, if that's the case, then our question is, what do we do with this opportunity? Do we put all our energies into hoping things get back to normal, the way things were? Or can we see this opportunity to evaluate our lives, to ruthlessly eliminate idols that have snuck into God's place? To turn over the temples, to turn over the tables we've put up in our own temples of God in our hearts. To seek to burn off all of the impurities of our faith as we've known it. And to turn to God in fresh hunger for true, transformative relationship with him. In submission, silence and solitude, as Hannah preached so well a couple of weeks ago. I do think we've an opportunity amidst these trial times, to invest in our faith, our relationship with God, which is of greater worth even than gold, and to find that our praise, glory and honour of Jesus is taken to new levels, less mixed with our own muddled perspectives and priorities. In the last section of this morning's passage, beginning in verse 10, Peter zooms out to show that this relationship with God that's on offer, the salvation that he offers us, has been hinted at for hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus. Trailers have been released, coming soon to a fallen world near you. The prophets have been tipped off, by the Spirit of Christ no less, that God would send a saviour who would suffer, and that this would be followed by God's glories revealed and poured out. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and many more passages in the Old Testament of our Bibles point to God's loving plan carried out through Jesus. And Peter tells us that those prophets, like Daniel in chapter 9, searched diligently to find out how and when God was going to do the wonderful things that he's done for us. Peter says that even angels long to look into these things, a delightful perspective that even in the spiritual realms, there is wonder at God's plan and work to reunite us to loving relationship with him, to adopt us as inheriting children. And that's the point I'd like to finish on today. This living hope that God has offered us is wonderful. The offer that God makes to each of us in his great mercy to let our old lives be put to death and to begin a new life with him, filled with a living hope, even amongst our trials and sufferings. 
with an inheritance that begins now, an offer of relationship that prophets and angels have been astonished by is on offer, even this morning, for those of us who want to take it up. If you're joining us this morning and you've not said yes to God, if you've not said, yeah, I, I want that offer, then we're going to have a chance to pray in just a moment. I'm also sure that there are many of us going through uncomfortable situations. Things that we're finding to be trials, wherever they've come from. And so I'm going to pray for those of us who that applies to. That God will remove us, deliver us, save us from griefs and sufferings. And that he will also use the situations we find ourselves in to draw us closer to him. To take away impurities in our relationship with him. I'm going to pray that the loving God invites us into a relationship, purifies our relationship, and takes away from us the stuff that's not from him. So, let's pray, shall we? I just want to invite you to Take a moment to rest with God. Again, we invite you to come. Increase your presence amongst us, Lord Jesus. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Even now, Lord, would you be moving in our hearts? For those of us who are suffering trials, griefs, Lord, would you, would you bring kindness? mercy would you save us from those things would you deliver us from those things and lord would you show us where you are show us what you'd like us to to learn show us how you'd like our relationship with you to change through these situations and we still ask for your your mercy and your release lord Come bring your blessing. And for those of us who've never said that yes to you, God, uh, would you come and meet us now particularly? And friends, if you've not had that yes, that I want to begin this relationship, then pray along with me just now. And the rest of you, pray for our, our brothers and sisters, would you? Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Lord, thank you that you love me this much. That you would be born, die, and raised to a new life for me. Thank you for that offer of new life for me. I give you all of my 
life up to this point, my record sheet of wrongs against you, God. And I accept your forgiveness. I accept your new life. Would you come and fill me, please, God, with your presence? Come, Holy Spirit, take up residence within me and make my life a pure temple of your presence. Ask for your new life, your living hope and your transformation because of what Jesus has done for me. Amen.